Hello and good evening and welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees and their Multicultural Mess and Secular Scam. Thank you for joining me again today. I am really honored by your presence. I know you take the time every day to listen to me and I, I'm, I really appreciate it very, very much. Um, thank you once again. Um, I hope you had a great, great weekend. Um, and it was beautiful where I am, so I hope it was beautiful where you are too. Uh, I wish you peace, all of you. I wish you healing, because we want to heal. We know that knowledge is the only way to heal and to rise above um rise above uh, the anger and the fear and knowledge is also the only way to be empowered and to have confidence and to stand up um, to the ignorance that surrounds us and uh, slowly by slowly we will uh, heal the Indian subcontinent to knowledge um, and we will um, yeah, be better, learn from the mistakes of the past and move onwards and recreate this Vedic land uh, in the image of, the, of our forefathers, uh, in, in the image of the land our forefathers left for us. Um, so today we're going to go on, continue on the, on, this, on the field of knowledge and we were on a series that is, that says, that, that I suggest Islam comes from Orthodox Judaism. Many other people do say it too. Um, and because they've reviewed all these uh, bits and pieces and put it together. And so we did one episode. We're going to do another episode. Hopefully we can finish it off in, in this episode. If not, we will... Um, um, we will move on to... Um, we will move on to another episode. We will add another episode to this. So we're going to review how Islam comes from Orthodox Judaism. Now, I, our last episode, I gave you many uh, concepts that were um, that were Hebrew and actually changed over to taken over into um, uh, into Islam. Um, I'm just going to talk about a language now and, and some other words that come from this language that are in both um, both religions and it's very important to understand because you'll hear this very often. Um, when one reads, I'm going to start chapter 120, page 123 of the Quran and the biblical origins. So when one reads and researches the Bible, the Mishnah, the Talmud and the Midrash in, in their Hebrew origin and compares it with the language of the Quran, one finds many similarities as above within the language proximity. One language seems to be common between Hebrew and Aramaic. Arabic and it's Aramaic. I repeat, Aramaic. Early Hebrews, Muslims, and Christians recognized the importance of the Aramaic connection. Aram was the country or land that nurtured Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Aram was preferred to Canaan because God was recognized first by Abraham in Aram. That's um, where pre-monoistic cultures, including Canaanites, were still idol worshippers at the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, that was the reason that Abraham and Isaac wanted their children to marry spouses from Aram. The Aramaic culture was an inspiration for all people who were who preceded uh, Hebrews, Muslims, and Christians. Since Aramaic was a dominant language for years and since the time of Abraham, it has survived today in Jew Jewish press and was fluent within Jews of Babylonia, 
some 2,000 years ago. Jews, Jesus and his and contemporaries spoke Aramaic. So this language existed in the time of Abraham. It then came down to Jesus. Uh, the G time of Jesus, it, it was very prominent and it was still prominent when Muhammad took, uh, was born. So the Aramaic language has survived, although not spoken fluently in ancient times. It, it included today in some Jewish prayers. The Gemara has been written almost in its entirety in Aramaic, once spoken in Babylonia. Over half the biblical book of the prophet Daniel was written in Aramaic. As an example of Aramaic influence, we can point to the famous Kaddish prayer that is recited every day in Jewish temples and synagogues by the congregants who moan for their loved ones. So, the Kaddish prayer in the Kaddish prayer, many words in Aramaic Aramaic sound like Arabic and they resemble the Hebrew word that they are translated into. Um, hereby we, um, so we're going to talk about some Hebrew, uh, Aramaic Hebrew words that then became Arabic. So uh, the first word I'll talk about is uh, Kadash. Uh, the root word is Kadosh in, in ancient Aramaic and Hebrew. Kuds. In Arabic so holiness so we hear the word um, Jews or sorry uh, Muslims do not say Palestine uh, Jerusalem okay uh, they don't say they don't say Jerusalem at all they say Al-Quds Al-Quds that's the Arabic word for Jerusalem um, the Hebrews call it Jerusalem with a Y not a J in English is Jerusalem but in Arabic Al-Quds and Quds comes from the root word kadosh, which is Aramaic uh, and means holiness. Sheme, the root word shem for name. Uh, Arabic is ism and it means name. Um, we say rub in, in Arabic, uh, uh, which is big, rub, great. And that comes from the Hebrew Aramaic word rabba. Okay, um, we got some more words over here, uh, which are taken. Um, be hayekun, root word is hayem. Okay, the Arabic word for life is hayat. Okay, it comes from the root word hayem. In, in, in Hebrew Aramaic, uh, it's be hayekun. And be means in, okay, I-N. Be as in B-E in Aramaic. Fi in Arabic. So in Arabic is fi, that means in. Um, and be is uh, in Aramaic. And from there you get the Arabic word hayat, meaning life. Um, so you have le alam, the root word is olam, okay, meaning world. The Arabic word is alam, and the Aramaic word is also alam. Um, we have some other words over here. Um, I, I just gave you that one. Um, sh shirata, the root word shira, okay, meaning song or poem in Aramaic. So shirata, the closest word in Arabic is surah, meaning announcement or revelation. Okay, shalama. The root word shalom in Hebrew, shalama in Aramaic, both means peace in Arabic, salam. So Arabic, the word salam doesn't, uh, meaning peace comes from the Aramaic word 
שלם, and in Hebrew, שלום. And that is important, very, very important to understand. So we'll go to something else that is, that I put out for y'all. We're going to give you some more words over here that come from from um, Hebrew, Aaron, Moses' brother, okay, Moses, the prophet Moses has a brother, Aaron, first high priest mentioned in the Bible, in the Old Testament, um, Arabic, the word is Harun, that comes from Aaron, um, Alim, it's attributed to God, the all-knowing, one of the 99 names of Allah, in the Quran, Alim is singular. In the in in the plural, it's ulama. Term for learned people. Uh, we say amin. Uh, in in English, we say amen, which is um, um, and this comes from Hebrew. In Arabic, is amin. Okay, uh, that that is very important. You've heard the word caliph, caliphat. It comes from the word caliph, which is successor. Literally means replacer or new ruler. The first caliph was the one who replaced Muhammad. And Abu Bakr was the first caliph um, of Islam uh, in 632 CE. The word caliph originates from the Hebrew word shalof or haklef. That's shalof, C-H-A-L-O-F. And in in uh, in in Arabic is uh, caliph, um, so it means to replace. So that's very very interesting. Um, so um, a fakih fakih f a q i h is a Muslim jurist. Jurist, uh, known as Faki, a sacred Muslim law is referred to as the Kif. Uh, so we all say Sharia law, but that's there's no such thing as Sharia law. Sharia is the way, uh, the law is is the Fik, jur- uh, jurisprudence, Islamic jurisprudence, also known as the Fik, and that comes from Faki. And um, philosophy comes from Falsafa. That's that's also inspired by Hellenism. That's Greek, actually. Um, so we all heard of the Hajj. They're going on the Hajj. Muslims go on the Hajj. Where does the word Hajj come from? That is also Hebrew. Um, so p- pilgrimage originates in the word Hag, H-A-G, um, in, in Hebrew, and it means festival. So a gathering of people for a festival, hug. Um, and in Hebrew, that became hajj. Okay. Um, the word hijra, you've heard the word hijra very often. Um, A-H or after hijra, that means the Muslim calendar starts in 622. And after that is after hijra. So that's after the hijra started. So the migration of Muhammad from Makkah to Medina uh, in the year 622 is known as the hijra. It indicates the first year of the Islamic calendar. The word hijra uh, resembles the Hebrew word hajira. H-A-G-I-R-A-H, which means migration. That's another word that comes from Hebrew. Um, 
So that's very, very important to know. Um, we also know, we've talked about the word madrasa. Okay, madrasa, we want to close all the madrasas. The root word originates in the Hebrew word midrash, meaning commentary um, or seeking of knowledge. Um, yeah, and today we had these schools where you sought knowledge, were called, uh, then became yeshivas, uh, and in Arabic, once Islam started, it became, it just took on another form. Uh, it just said madras, that means a place where you're seeking knowledge, which is exactly what it is today. We've heard the word minaret, a small, a tall, slender tower on the top of a mosque in Arabic. The word is manarat. And the word originates from the Hebrew word menorah. Okay, so minaret in English, manarat in uh, in Arabic. Okay, and it comes from the Hebrew word menorah, which in both cases means lamp. That means they lit a lamp, they lit a, a fire uh, which gave you light. And that's why the minarets were there for. The minarets, minarets were not there for the azan. The azan was on the ground in, at the level because they would never be able to hear. Uh, there was no mics, there was no uh, nothing. So they say, well, minarets were used for the call of prayer. That's absolutely wrong. It was uh, it was a lamp. That means a place where they, they lit a light for uh, for people passing by and and boats passing by because most of these these uh, huge forts were built on river sides riverbeds so we've heard the word palestine originally called judea so the kingdom of judea that's um it was renamed syria uh, Philistina. The area was named Syria Philistina uh, by the Romans at the turn of the first millennium. It was not called Palestine, Syria Philistina. Uh, after 135 AD, if I'm not mistaken, it's also called, um, sorry, Jerusalem was renamed Alia Capitolina. I repeat, Alia Capitolina. The name Palestina is, is close in sound to the name given by biblical land, Philistine. Um, so there is something else I want you to give you zakat. We've heard of zakat. That's charity in, in, in the Islamic tradition. Uh, and in, um, Hebrew, uh, we've talked about this before. It's tzedakah. T-Z-E-D-A-K-A-H. So zakat and zedakah, um, in, in, um, in Hebrew, um, which uh, which is another concept that comes from Hebrew. We've spoken about this before. Salah means hellfire or roast in Arabic. So, you know, hellfire, uh, they say salah. Um, it means you're going to roast in hellfire. But it, this comes from the Hebrew word salah, T-S-A-L-A. Um, again, that's that's Hebrew for you. So, um, Sadiq is uh, the word of God, meaning righteous, truthful. It orig originates on the Hebrew word Sadiq, T-S-A-D-D-E-K. So I'll read that, T-S-A-D-D-E-K, which also means righteous. Um, so you see there is many, many uh, uh, takeovers. Al-Uzza, okay, the goddess of Makkah. Okay, I repeat that, Al-Uzza. Makkah had an idol-worshipping population before it became a believer in God. Um, and that, yeah, so that that is, um, 
another thing that's important to know um, that is that a Hebrew uh, it seems like that too is a, uh, it comes from a Hebrew word it's not an original Arabic word <coughs> sorry so that is basically um, for you the vocabulary which gives you uh, which shows you that a lot of Hebrew comes a lot of Islam comes from Hebrew um, now I'm, I'm going to go to the history with you why do I say this that it, it comes from a lot of, of Islam or Islam comes as a spin-off um, I have spoken about this before and I will speak about it again because it's very very important uh, the concept of Jews we say Judaism the concept of Judaism or Jews only came in the 12th century and 13th centuries the name Muhammad was added by later caliph uh, caliphs that means the word Muhammad is not in the in the Quran it and the word Jew, Jews comes only afterwards so the concept of conversion when Muslims said well they converted is modern in the ancient days they just formed geopolitical alliances while each side kept their customs to remain in power circle over time they intermarried formed the Matisse class uh, where the children of the marriage would take over the lineage of the father or mother depending whether they were from the matriarchal civilization or patriarchal civilization eventually whoever remained in power would win over the bulk of the tribes on his side again depending on how much of titles land and money the person who converted received so um, let's backtrack a little bit okay when the kingdom of Solomon broke up okay um, about 900 um, around a hundred years after 900 BCE um, so the kingdom broke up it broke up, broke up into two kingdoms Yehud two tribes okay that's a southern part of Israel and the northern Israel ten tribes the temple of Judah the temple of Israel ended up in Judah that's Yehud that's in the south this temple was the ATM machine for power and money of the establishment basically the Yehud got the temple mount and all the gold and riches in it the schism never healed they all also knew that the Yehud had branched off and was reborn as the kingdom of Judea and later down the line the Roman province of Judea her dissidents from Judea formed the Jesus message movements this movement later became Christian uh, because it allied with the Christian Empire and Christianity the powerhouse of the entire region was born so Christianity comes from the Yehud which is the southern branch of the kingdom of Israel um, that's where most of the terminology comes from and the people uh, who were dissident uh, against uh, the orthodoxy of the original kingdom of Israel this did not sit down well with the people of the book and the descendants thus Christians and the remaining tribes that formed the kingdom of, of Yehud were seen as traitors or infidels okay they were determined to um, get the northern tribes were determined to get the temple mount back uh, they more or less disappeared from history until Islam is born again or they did or did they just assimilate on the other hand the Is Israelite Orthodoxy pushed into the northern kingdom uh, who where they once 
ruled the entire kingdom of Israel, were later freed. Um, they were they were annexed and they became slaves in the Babylonian Empire, uh, Assyrian Empire, and later Babylonian Empire. And they were freed by the Persians, and the descendants went on to become the people of the book. Um, now, these people of the book uh, formed many kingdoms um, in on in the Levant under the Hebrew uh, the Hebrew faith or the Hebrew ideology. Um, it came to an end in one in seventy CE. Okay, all these kingdoms, these multiple kingdoms that were formed after the original kingdom of Israel broke up. They were formed, um, but by 70 AD, it was completely come to an end. Okay, so this, the second temple of Jerusalem in, was burned by the Romans uh, in 70 AD. The people were taken, were disbanded. In, in 135 AD, there was a revolt, and that, that came to a complete end. The, the kingdom of Israel and her descendants from that region. They were banished. Uh, the Temple Mount was burnt to the ground and the Hebrews uh, were taken as slaves. Now this is very important to understand. They were taken as slaves and all the temple treasures, that means the menorah, um, the Ark of the Covenant, all of these and, and many other treasures were taken away by the Romans. Or it is said, so is said okay this is what is said all the the treasures were taken away by the romans and and taken to rome okay now when these treasures the temple treasures are taken to rome um eventually rome is um is invaded ransacked and uh, rome comes to an end at least the western europe Western Roman Empire, these these treasures are then taken and stolen and taken to Carthage, which is modern day Tunis. So Carthage is modern day Tunis, and and Carthage is um, uh, Carthage is where all these treasures uh, are are taken and stolen and kept. Now. When the Western Europe Roman Empire comes to an end, um, about a hundred years later or a little later, the um, Eastern European Eastern Roman Empire comes up in the form of Byzantium. Now Byzantium, um, the Byzantium Empire then gains strength and slowly takes over Carthage, which is modern-day Tunis, and takes back these temple treasures. So the original temple treasures of the Temple Mount, uh, which were last seen in 70 C after the fall of the province of Judea, um, and destroyed by the Romans, these temple, these treasures then come back uh, to Constantinople because Rome is not powerful anymore, and the the capital of the old of the Byzantine Empire is Constantinople. Is Constantinople now the emperor at that time was con were, was advised by his his king by his advisors that look every time these these hebrew treasures are taken uh, are kept somewhere that that city is ransacked um 
the city is ransacked and the city is brought down and it is not a good omen. Do not keep these treasures here. Send it back to Jerusalem. So Byzantium, um, the Byzantine Empire, ruled over Jerusalem at that point of time. And these temple treasures were taken in uh, the 6th century uh, to, um, to Jerusalem. Okay. Now, when these temple um, treasures were taken to Jerusalem, that means that the treasures of the Temple Mount, um, when they were taken to Jerusalem, they were not kept in the Temple Mount. Okay, They were kept somewhere else. And it is said that they were kept in the Church of Nia. Okay, The Church of Nia was a temple com complex. Um, was a temple com was was a church complex. So that means um, it was not just a church. It was a hospice. It was a school. It was uh, there were many institutions within the entire complex. Now the Church of Nia does not exist today. Okay, but the Church of Nia has huge underground tunnels. Pretty much what you see in Tokyo. If you go to Tokyo, you will see underground water tunnels. What is those water tunnels? Okay, those water tunnels is for sewage because uh, there's so much rainwater, there's so much of sewage and everything uh, uh, below the city that it gets clogged up. And when it gets clogged up, the problem is it uh, it it clogs up the entire city. You cannot you cannot drive anywhere, and so they build huge underground tunnels to as water drainage. Uh, similarly, this church of Nia, when it was built uh, by the Romans, had a technical error, had a civil engineering error. Water collected below the temple. So they had to build these huge temple ducts. Um, uh, temple ducts um, underneath the church, should I say, not temple ducts, but du um, water sewage canals below the church because there was water collecting there. And these uh, huge sewage canals, massive um, sewage canals, still exist today. Um, and if you want, you can research the Church of Nia in Jerusalem. Um, the um, yeah, you can you can absolutely verify it. Um, and and. And they are still there. So these treasures, they think that the treasures of the Temple Mount were taken from Constantinople, uh, kept in the Church of Nia, but it disappeared from sight. Okay. Um, once it disappears from sight, we don't have any historical evidence where it goes. Okay, there's nothing. That's where the historical evidence stops. Uh, the the Ark of the Covenant is lost. It's very very important. The Church of Nias it comes down. But when these these treasures go to Jerusalem, one thing you have to understand: for Jerusalem to be rebuilt by the Jews, by the Hebrews, you need these temple treasures. Otherwise, it's no use. You will not have any legitimacy. Okay, uh, no legitimacy. It's like um, I I don't know what to say. Um, if you, it's like saying, if you don't build Ayodhya back, you can't call yourself a Hindu. You, to be a Hindu, you have to 
have to believe in Ayodhya and you have to, uh, you have to build that temple back uh, because it's the most important thing in, in, in the whole of uh, Dharmic uh, history and the Vedic history, the, the place where Ram was born, Ayodhya, you have to build it back to be considered legitimate, which is exactly what's happening now. Similarly, back in the day, in order for you to take control of the Temple Mount and consider yourself the new ruler of Jerusalem, uh, you have to have these treasures. Now, these treasures were in the church of Nia. Now, you have to understand, uh, or should I say so, they believe it was from historical sources. Um, what, you, what we don't understand, so what we under, have to understand at this point is that the orthodoxy, the Hebrew orthodoxy is broken up into many tribes and they're all about the place, okay? There are some factions who live in the Roman Empire, in the Byzantine Empire. There were many, many Jews who lived there. They're, these empires were not all Romans. They were different groups, different tribes, all living together, just like we have today. We have... Um, we have the empire, we have the Persian empire who had Hebrews. We had in Arabia, in the desert, there were Hebrews. Um, on the Asian subcontinent, which is today India, it, we had Hebrews. In Africa, we had Hebrew orthodoxy. Uh, the most, the biggest part of the orthodoxy was all along the Anatolian Peninsula, Anatolia, uh, Persia, Iran, Afghanistan, uh, Pakistan, and North India. All of them were there. So, um, Absolutely, everyone wants to go back to Jerusalem and consider himself the leader. So the first people to attack uh, the church of Jerusalem and the church of Nia to find these temple treasures, and we don't know if they found it, were the Persians. And so you have the Persian War uh, of 614 AD. So the 614 AD, the Persian conquest of Jerusalem and the massacre of the Christian population, the archaeological evidence for this is... is a little bit meager. Um, there was a historical uh, sources say a violent military raid that dramatically affected the political administrative uh, ability stability of the Byzantine palace. Sorry, Byzantine Empire. Um, involving large-scale damage to churches and mass killing of local Christian populations. A uh, common view has it that the conquest marked a turning point of history in the Near East and and one and was one of the causes of the rapid uh, decline of the Persian Empire and the rapid conquest of Islam uh, Islam in the region. Okay, because remember Islam starts in 622 AD, um, and this Persian War went on from 614 to 628 AD. Okay, very important. Um, so that's when the war happened. Although the Persian domination lasted only 14 years, so 1614 to 1628, a very brief period in a long historical sequence of uh, of um, of Judea or Roman Palestine, uh, Byzantine Palestine, it. It was believed that the devastating effects of the conquest changed the urban and the rural landscape of the country for many years to come. Um, so many scholars saw this conquest as the event that accelerated the process of decline of the Persian Empire um, and the start of the Islamic Empire. Now, 
the Persians invade with the with the he with the Hebrews who were in charge of this because the Hebrew factions who allied with Persia wanted absolutely um, to control this area and Persians knew they had a history they had a history of alliance with the Jews it, it's a very lucrative area to control and they had invaded already they had taken over this area um, in the in in the in uh, in around 500 or 600 BCE, uh, so they know this area very well, and they know that in order to get legitimacy with the people on the ground, they need absolutely to ally with the Jews because the Jews knew this, the Hebrews knew this area the best. The Temple Mount um, was theirs, and so the factions that allied with them, it's very much like you have uh, Hindus today in America and they ally with the Democratic Party and their um, Islamist movements over there against India. You will have a lot of anti-India Hindus in, in America. Similarly, you have Jews all over the place who all wanted legitimacy. So they go, uh, they ally with the Persians, they invade, but there is no notice of the temple treasures. Now that invasion of of Jerusalem kicked up spirits of all the other tribes and all the other Hebrew orthodoxy and the people of the book who were all about the place because everyone wants to be legitimate everyone wants power and the people and the groups the tribes that were also um, bent on power and controlling the Temple Mount uh, were the Hebrews at Medina very, very important to understand this part. The Hebrews at Medina wanted to control the tribes uh, and and go back, but they ha didn't have any legitimacy. They did not have any people with them. Remember, they were small tribes, and because they were small tribes, they didn't have an army. They were an ideological group. They were not a political group. And these people, the people of the book, the orthodoxy, are the... Um, are the ones who finally um, ally with Umar. Technically, they ally uh, with Muhammad, but I don't think it was Muhammad. Um, the ally will we'll stick to the official story for now. They, uh, they ally with uh, Muhammad, and then afterwards they form an alliance in Medina. You have uh, the so-called constitution of Medina, and finally... It, um, Muhammad takes over, and before when he dies, uh, before he dies, he's said to try. His tribes are said to have tried to conquer uh, Jerusalem. Um, he fails, and after he's dead, then Jerusalem is conquered in 637, if I'm not mistaken, AD. So all this starts with the Hebrew tribes, the Hebrew tribes in Medina who want to go back to the Temple Mount, uh, but they need an alliance, and we know they did ally with Muhammad. And that's why a lot of the Hebrew vocabulary is in the Quran. Uh, what they wanted, actually, were people to submit to them to their deen. The deen was the bet deen. The people of the book are the orthodoxy um, and they were the ones who controlled the, the Jewish court of laws, uh, the Jewish um, ideology, the Jewish sc uh, school system, or should I say uh, the education of that time. 
Um, and they were the ones who would have transferred their knowledge onto Muhammad's tribes in the Meccans. And that's why it's called the Deen of Islam. The Deen comes from the Bet Deen. The Bet Deen means the house of uh, judgment. Judgment being God's judgment. And because God gave only the Hebrews, only the Hebrews, the real book, the real Torah. That's why it's the house of judgment. Because only they have the right to judge because God chose them to as the chosen people. This then goes on to the, the Muslims and they call it the fiqh. Uh, what people don't know is that the fiqh comes before the Quran. Uh, a lot of people say, um, most people think the Quran comes first and um, then after you have, uh, the Quran comes first written about 20 years later after Muhammad's death. And then after that, uh, the laws are put in um, to supplement the Quran. And then 200 years later, you have the Hadith. But the fiqh is started by Umar. Umar dies in 620, sorry, 632, 634, 644, if I'm not mistaken. 644 AD, Umar, the second caliph, dies. But he already has fiqh rulings. He has about a thousand rulings of the fiqh. That means he was already practicing the fiqh. Where did he get this from? From the Jews from the Hebrews at Medina and that's why you understand why there's so much of overlapping because he takes over the ideological uh, um, literature from the Hebrews and so what is actually what you call is Islam today is actually a continuation of the northern tribes of Israel, the people of the book, um, and their orthodoxy, not anyone, the orthodoxy. And that's why it's so hard go, it matches exactly the orthodoxy of the, um, of the Hebrew world. Um, now, I'm going to tell you something. Um, if you look at um, a Muslim marriage, okay, you see a Muslim marriage uh, and you'll see the women and the men on either side, okay, you'll have the women on one side, you'll have the man on the other side, um, and they will both be read the, the, the nikah um, to, by the, uh, by the mullah or whoever wants to recite the wedding uh, nuptial um, vows. And then after the third reading, then they come to each other and they meet each other. Now, if you go to the Orthodox Jews uh, and their uh, Orthodox Jews and their marriage style, you can look it up on YouTube and say Orthodox Jews marriage. You will see it matches 100 percent, 100 percent. It matches this uh, the Hebrew Orthodox marriage ceremonies. If you look at the fact that Hebrews, uh, Orthodox Hebrews do not sit in church with their women, um, Muslims do that too. Now it's not written in the Quran, but, and, and people say very clearly it's not written in the Quran, but they still, why do you practice it? And they don't have any answer because this comes from the Hebrews, the Orthodox Hebrews. Very, very important to understand that. The Orthodox Hebrews. And it's exactly the same. The marriage ceremony is also the same. The divorce is the same. Um, pretty much everything is the same. Uh, and I'm going to go through and... Um, try and get you to understand what the Orthodox Jews were. They're called Haredim. 
okay, today. Um, Haredim is, is a sect, uh, orthodox sect that comes out in Europe in, in the last 100 or 200, 150 years. It's not very old, but the ideology is exactly the same as the people of the book that were transferred to, um, that the movement then became is Islamic and that was transferred to the Islamic movement. Uh, so I'm going to post on my website, oh, sorry, on facebook.ca, a link uh, to an, um, a link to a YouTube video. It's from DW, uh, sorry, France 24. It's called uh, How the Haredim Israel Ultra Orthodox Makes Its Own Rules. And you will see in this documentary, they match the Hebrew, they match the Muslims of uh, completely, absolutely, completely, uh, spec specifically the Diobandi, the Barelvi, um, this orthodox mentality of them, their madrasas, all comes from these ultra-orthodox. I'm going to post it on my Facebook page. If you have uh, time, please go and read it, uh, look at it, and, and research ultra-orthodox Jews. They are exactly the same. I, I hope I join my hands to you. Please spread this. Uh, uh, please share it with your friends, your, your neighbors. Have that conversation, five people, ten people. Try and understand these Orthodox Jews. Research them yourself because they will make you understand how uh, Islam um, works and how you can deal with it. This is going on for 3,000 works years. This hasn't started with Islam. It's pre-Islamic. Um, so I'm going to just... Uh, just read to you or just talk to you about this video, okay? Uh, just briefly, um, so that you can understand. So, ultra-Orthodox Jews uh, live all over the world, but they live in, in Jerusalem, they live in Israel, and they live in Jerusalem. And here's what the documentary says. They're known as the Haredim. Are the men who only fear God. So they say they respect only one authority, that's the Creator. Okay? God or Hashem, as they call him, um, or El Elahi or Elohim, Hashem, mostly in the modern world, is what they say. They say that they're the only sole spokesman for the Talmudic tradition. They practice social separatism. That means they will not mix with everyone else, exactly like Muslims uh, today, especially with the niqab, with the uh, hijab. They practice social separatism. So uh, you see uh, they're wanting to wear uh, the hijab and the niqab. Uh, it is not because they want modesty. It's social separatism. They have to be separate from the local people because they do not consider all non Muslims as clean. Non-Muslims are unclean. They are, um, and and so they practice social separatism. Basically, that's it. Followers have been growing stronger year after year. So they they are growing stronger in Jerusalem every year, every year completely. Um, it's it's very very difficult to understand these people. In Jerusalem, as in many cities of the country, the ultra-orthodox have their own areas. 
In Jerusalem, as in many cities of Israel, the ultra-Orthodox has their own areas. You cannot go there, my friends. You cannot absolutely go there. If you go there, you have to dress like them. They have shops and they have their own schools. The study of religious texts starts almost at birth. So they have religious schools for girls and they have religious schools for boys. They also... Um, they. They also have protection for their girls and boys. I mean, little protection, security, uh, uh, security protection. It is insane what they do. Absolutely insane. So basically, I'm trying to read from this video for you. It is. Um, <laughs> they are. They, they have their own. They have their own places, own schools. Uh, they will not go to local schools. They do not like the secular world. They absolutely detest secularism. They want to convert entire the entire Jerusalem into or entire Israel into Hasidim. That means they have like 15, uh, 12, 13, 14 children per family. And that family has each child will have another 12, 13, 14, 15 children, uh, depending on, on who they are. Um, the wife doesn't work. The, sorry, the man doesn't work. The wife works. Okay. Uh, this comes from matrilineal traditions. They will not eat, go to shops other than their own. They Even in Jerusalem, they do not go to all shops. Uh, they have their own areas. They have their own timings. They are absolutely separatist. They do not want to mix with you. Even here in, in Canada, they do not want to mix with you. It is... Uh, it is uh, unbelievable um, they will not look at you when they talk to you the men will not look at you at all um, they just don't look at you it is uh, they will look down and and unless they are in a shop and they're working they need customers but mostly when they're on the street they don't look at you they look down uh, if they're on a bus they do not they will not sit with you they will there's buses they're religious buses they, the men sit in the front and the women sit behind um in the um in the planes they're not allowed to sit even in a plane with you uh if you're a woman you have to sit separately they will make a big noise about it um and you have to keep quiet for them. That means when they're saying their prayers, you have to keep quiet. In Shabbat, which is Saturday for them, the whole country closes. Even if you do not follow Shabbat, they they will make a noise for you. The, the city, the country has to come to a standstill. And any area, whether it's um, religious, non-religious, they will do their best to, to shut it down. Um, these, my friends, are the ultra-Orthodox. Um, these are the same people who were also wiped out at the Holocaust in, in, uh, in the Second World War. They were mostly based in Lithuania, Poland, and this was the epicenter of the Holocaust. Um, 
the epicenter, literal epicenter, all 90% of these people wiped out, 90%. And whoever survived ended up in Jerusalem, in Israel. They ended up in uh, New York, in Canada, in Australia, in New Zealand, um, pretty much everywhere in the Western world. But yet they do not want to mix with the Western world. Do you see a similarity uh, with Islam, uh, Islam wants to go to every single Western country. They do not want to stay in in Muslim countries, but they do not want to mix. They want to they want separatism, and that's exactly what's happening in India. They want separatism because these people consider anyone out of their tribe as unclean, or in Arabic, najas. Unfortunately, that's the way it is. Um, and I'm not talking about all Jews. I'm talking about Haredim. Um, they're nice people. There's nothing wrong with the people. Okay, the people are absolutely fantastic. The ideology is the problem, and the ideology has become so entrenched in their DNA, it is now a problem. Okay, um, I am going to post this video uh, on my Facebook page. I hope that you would go on to my Facebook page, Religions, Regimes and Refugees. Look at the video. It's called um, Ultra-Orthodox Jews. There are plenty of videos on the internet. Please, please uh, go and research it yourself. Understand who they are and you will see the similarities between Islam um, and you will see the similarities in the ideology with uh, with Islam and you understand that these people um, they they are the hardest of the hardest core uh, they don't change easily you have to chip at it very slowly 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 but more importantly you have to understand uh, who they are and how they um, how they function what their ideology is they want to resurrect their temple um, that's basically what it is um, they do not even like, consider the state of Israel as a state. They believe that their Torah is above the state of Israel. They do not consider uh, the state of Israel existent. And their, their, their rabbis are their only source of law. They do not agree with the Israeli law. They do not. These are Jews, okay? They consider Jews. Remember that. I'm not talking Muslims. They're Jews. They do not consider the... Uh, um, uh, holy law as um, as Israeli law, modern law as real law. They only consider that the Torah and uh, the Talmud and the Mishnah all are God's law and they will only listen to that. They also do not listen to any authority or public authority in, in Israel. They listen only to their rabbi. That means their rabbi is the sole provider and the sole de dictator of the law. They go to their rabbi for absolutely everything. He controls the community. He controls everything. This, my dear friend, is exactly the same as um, the hardcore Muslim uh, Islamic uh, groups in India. You see the mullahs, they control everything. Everything, everything, everything. Uh, the people who follow them do not even consider Indian law as as uh, as as uh, law. They consider it as um, kufr. They are above the law. Uh, their mullahs are above the state, above the 
constitution. They do not consider India a country. Their job is to get rid of India from the inside, break it down from the inside, and make sure that they resurrect the uh, Islamic empire. But not any Islamic empire, not like, for example, a state of, of, of uh, Israel, because they don't even like Israel, sorry, a state of uh, Turkey, for example. They don't even like Turkey, these people. Uh, I'm talking of Muslims. They don't, this ideology doesn't even like Turkey, because Turkey, Turkey is a secular state. They want a hardcore state like Afghanistan is right now, uh, which is exactly who they are, their ancestors were. So it's very important to understand these sequence of events, uh, important to understand um, the ideology, important to understand how the chain of events happen and uh, I need you to understand also ultra-Orthodox Jews. Please go onto my, my Facebook page. But more importantly, go on to uh, research it on YouTube and anywhere you can get it on. So thank you once again for your time. I hope this was important uh, for you to understand. Um, and you will gain some knowledge from the link. Um, and spread the news, five people, ten people, as many people as you can, because this needs to get out. So thank you, stay safe, and cheers, everyone.